Can't you see it? No. It's there. Veda, there is no chicken bone stuck in your throat. Dr. Welty, are you sure those are yours? So you fill it with water like this, and what have you got? A water gun. Cool. Can I get one for Veda? Oh, yes, yes. Thomas, let me ask you a question. Does Veda ever tell you why she comes down here so much? Because she's dying. Do you think she is? No. Why do you think she says that? Because she gets scared of all those dead people in her house. I knew that saying. Can't beat them. Join them. Today. The spelling of Thomas is T-H-O-M-A-S. Um, Thomas, first of all, I'd like to say that if you really like something, you really like it, and if you really don't like something, you really don't like it. So uh, it's kind of all or nothing for you. And um, you are an overachiever. And you can be very cautious. Um, you love to have order. You have order. And you do have lots of love in your heart. And you could possibly even have a pet. Um, so that is the first name of basically reading on the name of Thomas. Um, I would appreciate it if you would like, share, and comment on my YouTube videos and subscribe. That would be super. So thank you very much for watching and thanks again. Oh, she's one of them children's You know what I'm saying? I think Blade is very lucky to have a friend like you. She's my best friend. Miss Vader, how are you feeling? As good as can be expected. Hey, Vader, this is what we got. This! Hey, you! I'll pay back you! I'll pay you! Listening to this episode of Humor and the Abject, I recommend that you prepare for the hard and painful truth. Because this will break your heart. Thomas the Tank Engine. Our favorite childhood train. But little did we know. There is a much darker meaning behind it. Thomas the Tank Engine has six driving wheels. The name Thomas has six letters in it. Thomas lives in Titmelt Sheds. And before Emily arrived at the show, Titmouth Sheds had six sheds. That means 666. The mark of the beast. And like I said before, Thomas has six driving wheels. And three are on each side of him. Six minus three equals three. The Illuminati pyramid has three sides. Six minus five equals one. Thomas has the number one on his side tank. The Illuminati pyramid has one eye. Thomas the tank engine equals Illuminati. Welcome to the Black Parade. I am become death. Destroyer of Thomas's. This has been a message from your mayor, Bill de Blasio. I have survived abduction by a fierce and uncompromising collective of dick-worshipping scorpions. I have climbed to the depths of Lake Superior and unearthed secrets lost beneath the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I have smeared bologna, mustard, and relish across the hoods of no less than 11 automobiles owned by Paul Ryan. No new world order train is going to tell me what to do, motherfuckers. Since time immemorial, men going by the name of Thomas have tried to silence me. But I wage continuous war against their impotent rage. I forge my blade in the blood of 1,000 muskrats and lie in wait at the river. 
when those Thomases, and their unholy horses, attempt to ford the violet waters, I spring from the bushes and lacerate their abdomens. I remove their groins and hold them in the bald and unforgiving sunlight. In blood, I emblazon the surrounding rocks so that all who pass shall know my name. Staff only. Slayer of Thomases. Retribution is mine on this night and I challenge any of you junior varsity fuckwagons listening to this episode to step to me. You will know unending pain. Irrational pain. A pain so complex that your own mother will appear on an episode of TMZ and Harvey will have to console her while the interns stare on with abject terror. Welcome to another episode of Humor and the Abject, you caustic, but gentle, ranch hand screedlers. This is Staff Only, the podcast studio manager. Do not question my virility, lest you return to the dirt from whence you came. Permanent Vacation. The proverbial dirt nap forever. Our guest this week is Midwest micro-celebrity Tweed J, better known in the corporeal world as Thomas J. Gamble. A man about town who wears many rings. Many rings to rule us all. Kneel before the creeping death of absolute devastation. The countryside is burning, and your farm is in ruins. In church on Sunday, you will weep before your cruel God. He will have no solace to offer you by then, dear listener. For the rage of Staff Only has eradicated the very reality in which you took comfort. Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 44 of the Human the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. Raise your hand if you felt personally victimized by Regina George. Uh, okay. Um, thanks for tuning in again this week to all the repeat listeners. And if you happen to be brand new, thanks for checking out Humor in the Abject. Despite my better judgment, I release a podcast every single week. Uh, sometimes more than twice per week. Or, I guess twice per week, but maybe have I done more than that? I don't know. Uh, but generally, I talk to artists, comedians, writers musicians and filmmakers whose work I see is somehow complicating the disciplinary determinism between art and comedy. If you don't already know, Humor in the Abject is also a, dare I say, blog where I post writing about similar topics as I try, uh, maybe, maybe naively, to catalog these things in real time. The bulk of the content on the blog is my own, but since its inception, I've also had the privilege of hosting a series of comics called Infinite Hesh, by one of my best buddies, the artist Thomas J. Gamble. Uh, Thomas and I met several years back in Portland, Oregon, when he was a student at PNCA and I was working as a faculty member and arts administrator there. We got along pretty quickly, uh, thick as thieves, and ever since I've been an admirer of his work quite sincerely. If you've seen the Infinite Hesh comics that he does for the blog, you're already aware that his skills as a draftsperson are second to none, and he's got this unique ability to fuse kind of like punk flyer aesthetics with bitingly comical social commentary that somehow, I know this seems insane, but somehow uh, transcends being obvious. How does he do that? Uh, Your guess is as good as mine. He's also a phenomenal painter, although he'd probably get mad at me for calling him one. So Thomas was visiting New York recently from his home base of Erie, Pennsylvania, because he's part of a group show currently on view at Interstate Projects. 
I convince him to swing by the kitchen and hop on the mics, and the conversation that resulted is one of my favorites so far, because Thomas is thoughtful, quietly funny, and he refused to take the bait every single time that I tried to rile him up. We talked about his current work, uh, Rust Belt on Wii, learning how to responsibly depict certain subject matter in art, his early exposure to radical leftist politics, and uh, I guess like uncanny perceptions of time, which is a, a big part of his work that I think he, he's kind of soft-spoken about, but is 100% in there, and, and when you check it out, I think, you'll, I think you'll see what I mean. I also unfairly demanded that he tell me his favorite book of all time, and he got mildly upset which you'll hear on this episode uh, because he wasn't able to immediately respond to the question but after recording the podcast we went out together uh, and caught a beer and continued our conversation and he admitted that his all-time favorite book was a promise to ourselves a journey through fatherhood and divorce that controversial autobiography by alec baldwin Okay, clearly I am full of fucking shit. Uh, Anyways, if you're in New York, please make sure to swing by Interstate Projects to see the show that Thomas is in. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at at Thomas J. Gamble. And keep an eye out for a forthcoming Infinite Hesh collection, which will be a debut physical publication from Humor in the Abject. Here is my conversation with Midwest micro-celebrity Twee J, better known as my pal, Thomas J. Gamble. to go yeah let's, let's go thomas j gamble welcome to human the abject how is your week sir hi nice to be here um my week is going fine it's going well uh please excuse me i've not been on mic before yeah and also i don't generally make eye contact with anyone so that's fine you can just look at the wall behind me but that's why the microphone has the red wind guard on it is to so you know where to go. Yeah, you know the wind guard is good. Oh, this is so you're um, pulling away now. You got to come. There you I go. see. Yeah. yeah, it is an anti. See how, warm, see how much a, warmer that is when you're right there. Sean's got anti fuck collars on the on the <laughs> mic, which is cool. I mean, I guess you know. <laughs> um, so you're you're in town visiting New York this week as you are in a group exhibition that's opening tonight, the day that we're recording, called "Like an Iron Glove Cast in Velvet," curated Correct. by Jonah Porter at Interstate Projects. Uh, and for my listeners, that's going to be up through March 25th with viewing hours from 12 to 6 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. Now, Thomas, as technically a tourist in our fair city here, is there anything in particular that you've noticed about the way New Yorkers behave in this, you know, liminal space between the winter and the spring? Something that I, as, as such a local, <laughs> me being so local, that maybe I don't pick up on. Like, what are you, what are you noticing out there on the streets? Well, it's very, also, very dirty. Yeah. Can you hear those birds that came in in the background right when I said... Oh, yeah, spring is spring? sprunging. Spring is springing. So what, what are you seeing out there on the streets? What's, what's popping your eyes? Well, there's a great deal of trash. Um, <coughs> people don't dress well, I would say, generally. They look in New of, York. They just look a bit dirty. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. So I guess for your listeners... I'm Lay it from, on thick. I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania originally and i've spent a lot of my life there erie pa yeah western pennsylvania western pence very very tip of western pennsylvania on lake erie on lake erie yeah touching kind of touching ohio almost it touches ohio and new york Ooh. um very well yeah pretty much 
Um, so it's a Rust Belt city. There's really no manufacturing there. The Time magazine called a, wrote an article about it recently and said that Erie is a sinking ship and you'd be crazy not to get off. That's a direct quote. <laughs> so as you can imagine, um, kind of couture fashion and things where I'm from in Erie, it's, you know, people look good and they dress to look good. So yeah. Well, it's a sinking ship. You want to be there while the band is playing as it goes under and look your best on the way out, right? Yeah, there's like a Titanic joke, I guess, somewhere. Does? Um, I have a question. No, people, I, I don't know what you're talking I mean, New York is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Do you know anything about, I don't know much about uh, maritime politics or sort of like <laughs> ethics on the boat, but... Oh, please go ahead. Does the captain have to, like if the ship is sinking, but everyone has been removed safely yeah. and is in life rafts, does the captain still have to sink with the ship? Do they have to go down regardless? Or if everyone has been saved, is it doesn't seem a little ridiculous the captain just oh, no, stands there for another forty five Wow. It's how they it's it appeases the different uh, the different spirits of the water. And of that, Lake Erie. No, any any body of water. Any body of water. Yeah, have you like been Le, to many have you, you been know, to all the Great Lakes? Are you familiar with Leviathan? Like the Kraken? Is that the a giant uh, um, I think sea was, beast? Yeah, it's like a snake, I think, that lives under the sea in all the seas in the world, I think. I believe that's Leviathan. At the same time? Yeah, well, when people made this up, Sean, they, you know, they didn't know that... Uh, how do I say this? They didn't have, like, a full map of the world. Yeah, what do you call, like, undersea topography? I don't know, but anyway... Aqua uh, geography? Yeah, that's that's it. I'm and, uh, pretty sure that's the study of yeah. undersea topography. So Leviathan um, needs all the captains to die. And if you don't go down with the ship, if you chicken out something like this... Leviathan will take more ships. He's going to take more ships. It's going to... He's, you know... He's involving, like, global banks, so he he can pull strings and it'll really del- have a deleterious del- effect on the economy. Is Leviathan a name or is Leviathan like a species? Cause I notice you're not using an article when you discuss Leviathan, you almost like Cthulhu. I you're think referring now to Leviathan it has become, a, you can say a Leviathan, a Leviathan as just a very large, like a rollerblade or a Q-tip. That's not a Leviathan. Well, it becomes bigger than the brand. It becomes the object. <laughs> oh yeah. Itself. You can have a commercial Leviathan. A Kleenex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but You're not the first person I've done this to. I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyways, okay. No, but really, Erie, Pennsylvania. So I imagine the bulk of the people who listen to this are in places like here in New York or L.A., Chicago, Portland, other places like that. Um, yes, every almost everyone I know. Though, but, but there are a few people. But I feel I, like a lot of the people who do live in those cities who maybe listen to this or are artists and things like that do come from places that, you know, not Erie specifically, but yeah. might be similar in terms of that. And while they might have sort of a tertiary relationship to, I guess, the economic problems or realities in a place like that, um, it might be a little bit less familiar to them at this point, or it might be some sort of abstraction. And, um, you know, the access to it is these kind of ridiculous New York Times profiles where they sort of uh, try yeah, to understand the Trump phenomenon or these kind of right. people that live in these places that aren't metropolitan areas. They're on the incredibly coast. patronizing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, what are the specifically living there? Because you've lived other places, too. What are some mm-hmm. of the economic problems facing Erie? I mean, I know it's a Rust Belt city and you said earlier that there's not a lot of industry, but what's i mean you just have a different environment that you're making art in than a lot of different people and what are you seeing in terms of economic reality there that's yeah well i mean there's a few things i think 
you know, one thing is I decided, I made a conscious decision to come, to leave Portland, Oregon, um, and I went to Arizona for a while, which is its own thing, And but then I went back to Erie just for the sort of uh, experience of um, being somewhere where, for all intents and purposes, I'm um, removed from the sort of the flow of... Um, of the art world in general and of kind of almost in like this weird monastic state where, um, which I think is reflected in the, in the show that's coming up quite a lot because it's all very, uh, sort of inward looking or it looks toward history subculture. Um, so it's, uh, it's not reactive toward necessarily toward the world, uh, like it would be if it were made, um, in New York because the existence in Erie is very, very quiet. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's people with very working class, generally speaking, manufacturing jobs, things like this, um, who, who go to bars on weekends and who, uh, watch the Steelers or watch hockey games, which, I mean, none of that is, um, well, probably people who don't really give a shit about who's going to Mexico this year, who's going to Miami or anything like precisely. that. Precisely. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's sort of like the, talk in bars regarding art is non-existent the kind of like idea that you should go to things in order to network uh is non-existent um it's not a eerie's not a place that i'd like to live forever and i am getting out of there soon but it's been a it's been an interesting kind of little while year and a half or so well part of the thing that is you know you're saying that the work that you're making isn't always or practically always is not uh, responsive to what's going on in the art market or the art world or trends like that in general. And I think that something that's in your work is that it deals a lot with sort of the more human sides of things that we see as caricatures of the Rust Belt or the Midwest and mm -hmm. things like that, like the opioid addiction. Um, but you're doing, you're rendering portraits of friends and things like that, that you've lost to opioid addiction or other substance dependency problems. Um, and I'm wondering why it's important to tell those personal stories, even if they're abstracted slightly, because it's not yeah. like you're including the person's first and last name or, or creating like this um, eulogy per se to them. But there's something very personal about it that feels a little bit out of step with the way that somebody might conjure subject matter for a show in Chelsea or something sure. like that. It yeah, seems yeah. much more personal. And I don't know if you're aiming to give um, a human side to this stuff, even if that's subconscious or if that's simply you're absorbing the environment that you're in and, you know, just happenstance, it's the work that comes out. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think it's a bit of both. I don't, uh, I don't like the idea that the work is exploitative in some way of, okay, so here I'm some guy with, here's, a, I'm some white guy with an MFA and I'm going back to my hometown and I'm going to, uh, make work that's directly about how, fucked up it is there um but there are in a lot of ways i mean there are well that would make you a documentary filmmaker and then you'd be one of those people it would yeah <laughs> yeah that's not that's not what i'm interested in um but then there are things happening like you know the city of erie itself is um almost split down the middle between uh white and black so the city of erie has always voted democratic and um, voted Obama in, in by like 70% or something. But um, Western Pennsylvania itself went 
went red and so the county of Erie the outlying districts voted for Trump and so when you are when I'm thinking about things like um, you know the bad economy of Erie the opioid addiction heroin addiction um, things like that that have affected me and friends that I know personally um, the Trump phenomenon I don't know that I personally can't think of a way to deal with them within art directly without it coming across as kind of cartoonish sure um i think that or like you said earlier like where it's exploitative or you're kind of borrowing from you're trafficking in human misery if you do that and kind of aestheticizing right an experience of a group of people who uh probably have no interest in being aestheticized and it, it wouldn't no. it wouldn't be charming to them to be like look i made this portrait of you that's going to be in a show in los angeles or right it would like, be Why gross you go fuck yourself yeah it would be gross <laughs> and i uh, you know i um, I hope there's, I I hope there's some degree of internal ethics operating within the work, even if the work gets kind of snarky and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the easy ways to do it is like, well, there can be a big installation of like pill bottles. I was able to get empty pill bottles for OxyContin and pile those up in the corner of a gallery somewhere, or there could be some sort of like. Wait, these are hypotheticals. These are hypotheticals. Yeah, okay. I was like, you, did, you didn't make that, did no, you? I didn't. I'm going to slap you. I'm sorry if you did make that piece of art. <laughs> Someone did. Somebody did, and maybe they did many a good peop- job. Many people have done that, I'm sure. Yeah. <clears throat> or, you know, paint a big picture of Trump with a swastika on his forehead, something Woo! like this. But it's not, I don't think it's effective. I think that no. it, I think it is such a quick read when you see things like that, that the idea that. Uh, these huge pharmaceutical companies are bad or that Trump is bad. You get that and you into it uh, within 10 seconds of looking at the work. Yeah, and then it's, it's billboard art. It's billboard it's art. It's advertising. It's, it's meant bit, to kind it's of get... It's Banksy-ish, yeah. yeah Banksy. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Who's um, from Erie, actually? He has pretends off, to have a British on. accent, but... <laughs> My God. Um, so, yeah, you don't go to... When you're at the bar, you're not talking about a... You know, in my MFA. <laughs> no, that doesn't... <laughs> That doesn't come up very much. I pretend to know a lot about football at the bar, or more, a little bit about football. Are they, are they Pittsburgh fans? Pittsburgh primarily. However, there was a... Uh, they probably were rooting for Philly, though, yeah. in the Super Bowl. Yeah, there Everyone was, was a really amazing switch when the Steelers um, when the Steelers lost, and then Philadelphia went to the Super Bowl, where everybody who had this incredible rivalry between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia put it aside. Um to to whack those fucking racists from boston yeah 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 um to (laughs) to jeer tom brady specifically maybe bill belichick a little bit um see you know some stuff see i know who tom brady is but i don't know who bill belichick is he's their coach i mean he's just a racist scumbag nice whatever i mean he's very wealthy i think he's i'm sure he's some trump guy well that's conjecture but leave it in yeah because I think it's fine to say. Yeah. I don't think that we can be sued. Tom Brady that. had the MAGA hat. You know, you saw that. I I understand uh, from uh, sort of cultural osmosis that mm-hmm. he is associated with Trump in some way, but I, I didn't understand. I think he's exactly. like a lost child. I don't think he really understands what's happening. I get him and Tom Hardy mixed up <laughs> constantly, just in like when I see the name. I yeah. would love for Tom Brady to play Bane. <laughs> I think that would be exciting. What do you think? I think he, I think um, it would be easier to understand him, probably. 
Yeah. Did you know they had to recut the, or they had to re-record all of his voice for, uh, was that the Dark Knight Rises? Is that right? They had to redo the whole thing. They redid it and it was still that difficult to parse. If you haven't seen, there's a video uh, of sort of the original trailer screener that they sent to people and it's even more uh, impossible to understand him. Do you know, I don't know. I'm some, I'm a... Did you think the voice was weird when you first heard it or do you just think it's weird because other people said it was weird? I think I thought that it was weird, but I didn't think it was as weird as Christian Bale's voice. I think oh, his yeah. voice was so fucking stupid. There's this kid that I know named Benjamin Santiago, who's this great performance artist, and he has this fantastic video where he sort of walks you through how to talk like Bane. And uh, it's just, he does he does it in this way where he does the different layers of what's going on in it, but it's kind of like a political take on like Bane's mishmash accent kind of thing. Yeah, And at one point he's just like, He's like, then you have to be vaguely transatlantic. Then you want to go low. There's something <laughs> posh about it. Yeah, that's it's real posh, weird. but also like weirdly Caribbean. Like there's something, like, where the fuck is it? I think in the original Maybe. Batman comics, Bane was Caribbean of some You might kind. be right. I think so. So I don't know where the accent came from, but. I like Tom Hardy though. I don't know why. I don't really have any. Did you know he was a rapper? <laughs> no, I don't want to know that. I listened to his mixtape. It wasn't the worst thing I've ever heard. Really? Yeah. It's not good. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis's son is a rapper. Really? That's excellent. Um, I think there was... I think Daniel Day-Lewis... DDL. I think DDL did... Um, or something. Maybe DDL's publicity people really got um, his son's raps off the internet real fast. Oh, wiped it? Scrubbed it? Yeah. Get that off there. Because um, Dan- that is... Daniel Day-Lewis does not suffer fools, I feel like. I know. He killed his son, actually, I think. H.W.? <laughs> is that his son's name? Well, I'm an oil man, but yeah. I'm also oh, a right. family man. Yeah, he this killed is him. my son, H.W. He didn't yeah. kill him, but he made him go deaf and then later called him a bastard in a basket. I haven't made seen that fun film of, in a while. Made fun of him for being deaf. You know, the Phantom Thread's real good. I haven't seen it yet. It's definitely um, like wealth porn in that uh, it really makes... You want to be wealthy and have beautiful clothes that... Everything makes me want to be wealthy. Yeah, I guess. But some stuff makes it seem okay to not be wealthy. Um, But yeah, most stuff, you know, it seems nice to be wealthy. (laughs) Um, So the work that you've got in this show that's opening up tonight, which... So this will come out on Sunday. So folks, go go next weekend to see it, please. I'm trying to look at the calendar from here. I can't really work my eyes correctly, but I, le- I believe that's the 24th and the 25th that's going to be open over there, Saturday and Sunday. Yep. Please go see the show, but I wanted to talk about the work that you made for that show. You've got three paintings in it. Yes. I got to come by and see them yesterday, and I think, you know, kind of looping back to this idea of Erie or the Rust Belt is that these places sometimes can feel like they exist in a not-so-distant past, I mean, very mm-hmm. much, it's very much now, but there's also this kind of like time is forgotten, this type of thing in, in your paintings sure. and the drawing. speed of, I think the speed of culture, um, whether that be fashion or whether that be, you know, music, whatever is slower, certainly. Yeah. And it, I feel like in the paintings and drawings that you make, there's this kind of uncanniness of time too, yeah. that's going on where, um, I don't know if that results from that environment, but I feel like I've known you for a long time, and even in Portland, your work kind of borrowed from a lot of different aesthetic time periods. You've kind of mishmashed it into this um, 
voice that you have, but you're, you're borrowing from things that maybe um, don't really make sense together. And I wonder if that's related to both an interest in kind of the trajectory of time and where things are situated, but also what you said a little bit ago about the inefficacy of making something political that is just like Trump sucks balls. Right. And it's like, to right, whom right, is right. that speaking besides your buddy who already agrees that Trump sucks balls? Right. So, Thomas, my question is, tell me about time. That's a statement. That's a command. Tell me about time. Tell me about the politics in your work. Um, I think time is a particle as far as I've been doing some research. So I do think that time is, um, it's, well, it's inextricably linked to space. Um, I understand they exist on a continuum. That's a lot of people feel that way, but I don't, um, I think that's incorrect. (laughs) No. All right. In all seriousness though, I think that the strategy that, um, I don't really like that term, but yeah, the way that I like to employ, um, these kind of images that are maybe potentially, um, not even anachronistic necessarily. Um, and I hope not nostalgic, but they're called from a sort of indeterminate period of history that is usually, you know, maybe sometime between the sixties and the early two thousands, 2010 or something like that. And like you kind of pointed out, um, a lot of that is a, a fascination with, um, American politics and cold war politics and, um, his, you know, histories of, Amer- of us, um, and British subcultures, stuff like that. But also it's a strategy, um, to, it's a way of talking about the present, um, by using these images from the near past. Mm-hmm. Um, and so near past, do you feel like that you're selecting that because you're saying like since kind of the sixties is that perhaps it seems like a tangible or touchable past because I mean, you have, right. yeah. you have family who is alive then it's, it's not, there's right. still media that exists that was created during that time period. Whereas, yeah. um, like a work of literature from, you know, around the industrial revolution, the odds of you having an original piece of that media is really slim, but you could get, you could get a first pressing of a paperback book that came out in 1968, or you could have a vinyl record or something like that without too much trouble. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could like relics still exist from then. I mean, right there. Yeah, that's right. I think that it's a sort of a thing that we're tangentially all aware of this history. Um, even if it's not been lived experience. Like, so we, I would venture that most people know who what Kennedy looks like. Right. Or, mm-hmm. uh, most people are kind or somewhat aware of Alan Greenspan or, you know, know that he's a shithead, but maybe they don't know why exactly. Or they've seen images of Vietnam or, uh, you know, the Gulf war or certainly nine 11 things. I mean, these are, I'm for some reason, grab like talking just about horrific political events but um there's also a lot of pop cultural stuff that's from there but well those become those political events become time stamps because the culture either predicts them like moments before it or reacts to them it seems like right yeah so like all of the 1960s late 1960s and early 70s counterculture is pretty rooted in uh, response to vietnam and the politics surrounding that so it makes sense that this kind of stuff or the fanaticism around conspiracy theories and things like that. While those have always been around, you've got, you know, obviously the moon landing and things like that. But nine 11 is like that timestamp when it was like, 
the the idea of the conspiracy theory sorry went from the margins to the mainstream or just became right. something that people understood and had like an aesthetic or something where you oh, could yeah. you and could mock it you could play with it you could be fascinated with it all these different things like that so i think it makes sense that you're referencing these major political shifts or figures because all the other stuff sort of in the way that we understand history or time surrounds them right you know there's poten- there's potentially one way to talk about to talk about trump to talk about Black Lives Matter, to talk about hashtag resist, to talk about Me Too, which are all things that are um, at the forefront of my thinking, you know, and probably everyone I know is thinking, um, police brutality and all this. But I um, kind of, as I'd mentioned before, I wonder if the, if not as a, not as a, um, such an immediate way to speak about them, but potentially a more effective way to speak about them is uh, is this sort of like exploded plane of images um, wherein uh, they suggest those things. Those things are suggested. So on a slower, you know, if you digest it slower, um, and maybe the maybe the work is about you know the. Uh, overthrow of a Chilean government or something or has an image derived from that um, it starts to build this narrative it starts to build this kind of um, this story that is non-didactic right that uh, yeah well it's kind of looking um, it's looking in a rearview mirror in a way it's almost like I kind of feel like the paintings and some of the things like that that I've seen become these uh they're sort of like punk show flyers for what already happened. Yeah. You know, and, and that, and that it can be this kind of thing because the, the funny thing about the punk show flyer or the aesthetic is that it feels like it exists in this really specific time, but it doesn't. And it stretches out over time. I mean, look at any of the, you know, you're talking about walking around and seeing the way that people are, dressed in new york and things like that there's still like that was you'll a see, joke everybody well dresses but you'll nicely. see some like fucking gutter punk kid and yeah. the aesthetics of the punk flyer are on his patches and on his shirt but it's also on stuff in the windows in soho and it's become this ubiquitous oh, yeah. kind of mainstream thing that's like a a tool for i was talking to andrew quo about this about zine making and it's yeah. like a tool to organize things right and so like it's an infographic and yours though seems to kind of have this non-linear time space where it references all these different things or nods to art history like i'm thinking about maybe we can talk about this piece in particular but there's the one that has um so it's got the like circle jerks guy skanking mm-hmm. or i don't know if he's fighting people i don't know but the circle jerks yeah, guy skanking dancing yeah, it's dancing. got uh the daddy bear it's got a daddy bear. That's right. Grateful Dead Bear, which you told me yesterday is called a daddy bear. A daddy bear, yeah. And then, um, is there a portrait on it, too? There's uh, like, yes, there's, there's, like a, a, there's a portrait of uh, of my good friend Deborah, which is a picture that I took uh, and then painted. So a cell phone picture that I took and painted. So that is called from personal life and not from some historical archive. But so these other two historical, I mean, we've got these two subcultures. You talked about a fascination with that before. You've got this circle jerks icon and this Grateful Dead icon. And what's Mm -hmm. the conversation between those two? I mean, it seems like two subcultures that hate each other, but... Right. Well, there's, I mean, hopefully there's a couple. There's one where it's sort of a... uh, obvious joke in the sense of there's like um 
the pose of the bear itself uh, mirrors the pose of of the skanking punk um but at the same time there is all of this you know um animosity between people who punks and hippies punks and hippies you know people who declared for each camp right um which is so there's like that really obvious joke then there's sort of the joke that is like uh except you know that the punks and hippies really a lot of them wanted the same thing and a lot of them came were white working class middle class people who uh saw injustices or some or um inequality and uh and wanted to do something about it even though they ended up with kind of radically different aesthetics they were like drawing from the same socioeconomic pool mm-hmm. so it's sort of so there's a little bit of a joke there that it's like that animosity be- that became so fever pitched when really it's the same kids or was the same kids with like either tight jeans or bell bottoms or shaved head or long hair you know yeah um, do you feel like those uh those signifiers or those bits of iconography are something that um i guess because they have this place in history but also you share a you share like a lived experience with the people who probably did that that they're in those types of signifiers or symbols are things that can be borrowed, can be exploited. Like, and I wonder if that's why you're, you know, I'm going back to what you said a minute ago, but sort of being in the present and looking and thinking about things that are at the forefront of your mind or things that do concern you, for example, black lives matter Mm -hmm. and thinking that, well, you know, am I the person who needs to, you know, is that my iconography or is that my struggle to kind of like articulate aesthetically the same way that you don't want to borrow like the pain or the abject misery of people who are suffering from opioid addiction, but trying to find some way to nod to those things with symbols and signifiers that you feel like you can traffic in. Yeah. Like it feels like the circle jerks is based on Thomas's lived experience. It's like, that seems like a perfectly legitimate thing for you to take and kind of like both, you know, I would imagine that you're kind of paying homage to these things, but also poking them a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and poking them in a way that is affectionate and also critical. I mean, I think those two things are always sort of operating at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about this before. That's the difference between making fun of something and satirizing something like, and it's, it's a difficult thing to do well, I think, but there's something about the work that you make. That's like a puzzle for somebody to come in and kind of start to pick apart that, um, I mean, are you trying to get somebody to spend some more time with it? Are you hoping what's best case scenario that the viewer walks away with? Are they connecting the dots and understanding Thomas's kind of, uh, puzzle that's been laid out or is it more of an introverted kind of, they walk away and think, well, what do those symbols mean? And then those are stand-ins for their own, yeah. You know, the Deddy Bear is like, my parents weren't into the Grateful Dead, but it's like, I associate the Deddy Bear with like two different things. One, a generation of my parents who were like dropping LSD in San Francisco and thinking yeah. that by having orgies, they were going to save the world. Right. Um, and then another mm-hmm. one, which was just like kids I wanted Kissinger to punch. Kissinger was reading Ayn Rand in the and fucking that face worked in college. out real well. <laughs> um, but then also like the circle jerks were just Huntington Beach idiots i mean violent, violent thugs um whose music was better than the grateful dead but um yeah both sort that's of probably an arguable point we should legacies. call up dan let's call up daniel glendening and get his opinion on this dan i really love you i you know I when it comes when it do. comes to the grateful dead we should call him staniel glendening why he's a stan for the grateful dead <laughs> what do you think about that it's a nice little pun that's okay i mean people make fun of me for being an old punk 
And I guess is that I guess that's what I am. I mean, I look like one. Check out my Instagram. I'm a at Thomas J Gamble. At Thomas J Gamble, if you want to see, um, you know, I take a lot of selfies because I'm real insecure. So if you want to see any of my, um, if you want to say that I am attractive or see my cool punk clothes, please follow. Here's an oldie, but a goodie. Hey, folks. Does the idea of having to manually search for bad takes on Twitter, screenshot them, and then optimize them for Twitter's display so you can effectively roast somebody without the risk of mentioning their at, exhaust you? It exhausts me, too. Just imagine if every day, screenshots of bad takes were delivered right to your inbox, pre-measured and accurately cropped to ensure no PNG or JPEG waste. Well, guess what? You don't have to use your imagination anymore. Blue Takeran is a subscription service that has created a sustainable partnership with far-left Twitter trolls who hate follow liberal media accounts and pundits. They do the hard work for you. Finding the worst takes on every topic under the sun. We bring you higher quality screenshots every day to ensure that you aren't wasting any time or energy. And our step-by-step -step instructions will identify exactly what is wrong with every take. We guarantee a holier-than-thou roast tweet that will garner your account multiple retweets and favorites. Head on over to bluetakerand.com today and sign up for your first delivery of bad takes. Get roasting. You gotta get those likes. Boost the ego. I hope so. Um boost morale. But yeah, no, going back to going back to your question, um it's not a puzzle. Wow. Thomas. Fucking rude. Much? Uh, I really do hope that there's some degree of generosity with the pieces. Um I think that there are you know, if people want to get into dialogue with me, I can walk them through my decisions for each of um the usually sourced images that I put together. Um, but I'm more interested in kind of um, some degree it, these images being put together and um, like I said, not being didactic and also um, promoting some sort of sense of mystery, mm -hmm. um, uh, a generous mystery in that there's some sort of, so they're extremely bright. They're pretty big. There's some sort of starkness of when you immediately see them, right? Like Bacon called the starkness of the image is just like you're arrested, hopefully, immediately by and this like, thing. They're like sort of blaze orange and black, they're right? Very, very, uh, yeah. <laughs> they're an extremely. What's the paint? The paint. It's flash. Um, Fuck! I should have asked if it was flash. I asked on the last. I asked a painter recently. Is it flash? And he was like, no, man, it's just acrylic. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> god damn it. I thought that was like a cool painter thing to know. I don't is, know. That, is that flash? I'm not paint? a painter. I don't know how to paint. You can paint pretty well. Well, I just like paint like I draw. Well, you mean it's a delivery method, not a not a practice in the way that like you sit around mixing your own fucking colors and act like an asshole about it. Sir no. And I wouldn't know how, and I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> I just love I wanna I just love throwing 
and I did buy a Sternberg Press book. Sternberg Press is a is a nice imprint um, about that had essay upon essay of theories of of painting, and I I couldn't bring myself to care. Did you try um, to read some of it? Well, yes, I tried to read it. Well, I don't know. I bought a lot of books that I just bought it, said I could have it, and then sort of put it up. I do buy a lot of Sternberg Press books and don't read them. I just kind of put them around. I have the... Semiotics. Uh, you know what book I have that I have read front to back that um, is not fun to read? No. It's the... Uh, oh, my God. It's from... Um, what the fuck is that thing at University of New Mexico called? The really, like, fetishy uh, printmaking studio that's there. Um the, uh, I can't believe I'm blanking on this. I feel like an asshole. Toot, toot. Starts with a T. Somebody's listening to this and wants to punch me in the face. You know a lot Starts about with art. A I don't know much. You know, I don't know what's going Tanned, on. Tanned. Mm. Hold on. I'm going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> Just Tandy? Not Tandy. Hold on. It's the, uh, Tamron. Oh. Tamron Institute. The Tamron Institute. I'm, I feel like a... I feel like a real jerk. But, you know, I also like the idea of somebody who's, like, obsessed with printmaking listening to this and hear me not be able to say Tamarind Institute and how, fuck it, how that must have been, like, nails on a chalkboard for them. But It bothers you because you know a lot about art. I don't really particularly know that much about I art. About I that. just read books. No, I know, I like, really, seven things I that novels. I can, I can I repeat about. permutations of. No, I read that book, though, because I had to teach lithography and I didn't know how to do lithography. Oh. So I read the Tamron Institute's, like, Bible on lithography front to back, which is about the driest fucking thing that you could ever read. It's several hundred pages. Yeah. I mean, lots of pictures and stuff, but holy <laughs> shit, man, I read it, like, four times, and I still, when it was done, I was like, I don't, I guess I'll watch some YouTube tutorials. Yeah, that's the best way to learn, really. Uh, what are you reading then? If you're reading novels, or you know, not at the moment. What have you read recently that popped? What have I read recently? What's on Tweejay's Goodreads? Do you know it's so fucking boring? As the things I read, I don't think anyone really cares about. You're I like did... a, you're like obsessed with Jonathan Franzen, right? That's that's what I understand. Jonathan Franzen can go just, fuck himself. You just loved. You saw a lot of yourself in the corrections. I understand. If I didn't read the corrections, but if I saw a lot of myself in Jonathan Franzen, I'm making a he's making a shooting. Myself. He's doing several different how to. Do you know what's funny is that I do? I was listening to a podcast that my friend Deb recommended me. Uh, there was an interview with Zadie Smith, and she was talking about being friends with Jonathan Franzen and with Jeffrey Eugenides, which is so weird to me because I think she's a great writer, and I think they're bad writers. <clears throat> And so I don't know if she's being polite, um, but she didn't seem like she was, like she would have bullshitted. Um, now, what, what have I read recently? What's I read, your favorite uh, book? Samuel Delaney. Samuel I read Delaney. Times Square Blue, Times Square Red, which was really excellent. I really love him. Uh, I read, I've been reading Thomas Bernhard a lot, um, who was this kind of Austrian misanthrope who... Um, hated Germany and Austria very, very much. And um, I think if you approach the novels like they're kind of funny, you'll like them. If you are depressed and you read them, you might... Could fuck you up. It might fuck you up. Um, What's your favorite book ever? What's your favorite novel? It doesn't have to be written in concrete, but what comes to mind when I ask you that? Lay it on me. I do like the novel The Loser by Thomas Bernhard. Um, mm-hmm. There, Fuck. You know, I thought about this the other day. 
Give me five. Give me two minutes. Okay, we'll come back to it. Yeah. Uh, I like boring books a lot. Why? I don't know. It's that's like an escape for me. To, I, I'm a very nervous sort of person generally, uh, and so to read. Really. <laughs> yeah, really, <clears throat> I really am. I'm gonna reach over there and punch you in the goddamn face. You just calm down, Thomas. This is a radio interview. We're having a nice time. We're creating the theater of the mind right now. I think you're doing a great job. I know that you get nervous. Yeah. But you're I also do. very thoughtful. And I think that's something that uh you know, your work is your work's funny, but you're not a jackass. I hope so. Which that's is a, a very hard nice it's a really thing difficult say. thing to do. I don't I know. Do, I I, do, like I personally it. don't know how to do that. No, you're not. I don't. There's like a stoicism to your work. It's very funny, but it's very like fucking British about it, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> Did you like that? I kind of like code that. Just, switched. Yeah, that just popped yeah. into my head while I was doing it. I don't think we should call that code switching. I think we need to be respectful of what that means socially. It is true, but I think that I'm just trying the to, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to grind you up. I know. <laughs> you are grinding me up because I can't think of my favorite book. Well, I don't care about your favorite book. So what do you think about I re- that? I care about it because I want to say what it is. It's probably where the wild things are. <laughs> no, your but fa- those your draw- favorite book was the novelization of the Nightfall series from DC Comics when Bane <laughs> broke Batman's back. I did read that. Yeah, I did too. Um, <laughs> no shit. I have the comics if you want to look at them later. Yeah, I have a bunch I of Nightfall. Do. I do. I have the whole... Oh, I have the, the graphic novelization of when Superman died too. I think I've talked about this before, but remember when DC just killed everybody? Because they were like, nobody likes our comics. Yeah, but I didn't... So we're just going to kill Batman. No, we're going to kill Superman. We're going to break Batman's back. And then we're going to do this fucking thing called Zero Hour that I don't even remember what it was, but it was like a countdown to like the end of the world. Because everybody was just like... There were like little kids that were just like, batter bad. (laughs) Kids love... Batman... What what the fuck happened? Because Batman then turned into like a bunch of different Bat... No, I'm sorry. Superman became a bunch of different Supermen. There were four Supermen. There was Energy Superman. There was like... um, That was one I liked. What's the the railroad guy? John... John Henry. John Henry. John Henry Superman. There was a John Henry guy. There was Mm -hmm. like a neon green one. Oh, really? That sounds cool. Who had like weird sort of like Kanye glasses on. That one sounds cool. Um, There was a second Batman though. It was like this guy uh, who was blonde. And he was like some sort of angel that I can't remember, like his superhero character. And then he took over and then he was mean. You know, he's like being bad are so stupid and they're so good. I think there's something that I really love about that. That they just, I mean, these stories are, they're so silly. They don't make any Talking sense. That they're thing ridiculous. That's in front of your face. But man, that's compelling. I think it's great that bat, that Superman turned into four Supermans and then apparently somehow became one Superman again. Yeah, he came back, I think. Yeah. I don't remember, but they had all these split off things going on at the same time. I guess time. it's like mythology. They make, Ovid made a bunch of shit up, you know, people turn into different animals yeah. and then come back. I don't know. Well, you also had a show in Cincinnati. Is it Mike Welsh told me? <laughs> Mike Welsh told me that there was this guy who I'm not going to say the gallery that he works at, but he's Italian. And he said that he kept talking about how he's going to Cincinnati. 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 (laughs) I'm talking about Cincinnati. And Mike said that he was just like, I felt bad, but I could not stop laughing. Every time this guy said, Cincinnati. (laughs) No, I mean, I was laughing. So you had a show at the Anytime Department with uh, Annie Zaverina. Is that how you say your name? Yes. Yeah, two-person show No, I think it's actually Zaverna. What, really? Yeah. Fuck me. Sorry, Annie, if you're listening. Also, I'm sorry, Annie, because we're friends and I 
should know how to pronounce your name. I think it is Zverna, though. Z-V-E-R-N-I-A. It looks like there's another syllable in there. But well, she's great. Yeah, you guys did a two-person show. Was it in was it October, November, something like that? It was in September. September, the fall show, the banger. It's when you come out the gate swinging. I mean, it was, I guess, blue chip is what you say. Blue chip is fuck. Blue chip and the rust belt. I've got a blue chip on my shoulder. That's what I say when I don't get a gallery show. What do you think about that? You know, Bluebeard is also a bad book by Vonnegut. There's a lot of bad Vonnegut books. Do you know, I think if, like, Vonnegut wrote was not so self-serious, and, like, those were, like, serialized podcasts, they would be really good. But because so many people tell you about Vonnegut all the time, you just, I can't deal with it. Would you go see a movie called The Girl with the Kurt Vonnegut Tattoo? (laughs) I don't have to see a movie. (laughs) I've met plenty of those. Some of them are very nice people. Uh, Well, what did you make for the show in Cincinnati? Was it akin to what you're making here? I know the the answer. I've seen the work. Yeah, it was pretty, it was similar. Like I said, we're creating the theater of the mind. Yeah. I want the listener to to know they were paintings um they were and they were using a lot of similar colors there was an orange and black color scheme in a lot of those that was um referential to like halloween um well i do love the fact that it is kind of it does sort of reference um it's sort of a tacky color scheme i think and it's kind of an ugly color scheme orange and black Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's like i mean it's not like a guarantor of fine art if you want to like have a color scheme no it's like a, big, a fucking road sign yeah so but they were but i was trying to replicate the orange that was on um like greek black figure vases and a lot of what the my thinking going into that show was was these small paintings that were um making fun of the uh the alt-right's appropriation of um this this idea that they were trying to bring back uh, historical culture western culture mm. that they were somehow the saviors of this grand western tradition um and so a lot of the imagery was uh of greek and roman ruins um of you know like uh sort of destroyed busts of these uh protectors of the western tradition uh beethoven and st- things like that because I mean, for these losers to imagine that they're, well, a, I don't, I don't think that's how culture works. I don't think that these things need protecting. Certainly not by Spencer and like these kind of like. You're talking about Dicky Spence. Talking about little Dicky Spencer. Um. I don't. If these things are going to persist, they're not going to persist because a bunch of neo Nazis. No, I think they'll persist because of colonialism and imperialism. Well, yeah. And white supremacy. That seems to have been doing just fine as like the gatekeepers of uh, people interested in that kind of culture. So they don't need to start a micro movement within that larger macro movement that just sort of is set as the default of culture. I think you're right. I do think, though, there's also like a deep... I think it was funny reading... There's a really good, um, interesting book by Andrea Nagel... Um, called kill all normies that oh was yeah about the, i haven't read that yet that's yeah, like the really book good. that i keep being like sean remember to get that book yeah and then i keep forgetting because she went it's like a deep dive right into she got really deep is into, it 4chan into, and all that kind like of stuff chan culture and into different uh yeah message board culture and she's um she was really sort of i mean she got the ire of these guys up and oh, has I'm been sure. sort of attacked 
since, not physically, but doxxed and all this stuff. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, she gets into some of it, which is really, I think, quite funny that um, they're defending it and they also don't understand it, even in the slightest. Um, oh, no, they don't give a shit. No. <clears throat> they're like, um, what's his butt, Gavin McGinnis? I think so. They're basically just kind of like rubes who yeah. have like a extremely superficial understanding, probably more. I have a superficial understanding of this stuff, but they have probably even a more superficial understanding. I have a than superficial I do. understanding and, too, but I don't leverage it well, toward exactly. hate speech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a question for you. And I'm, I'm actually, um, I, okay. So let's, let's think, let's zoom back to like young, young Thomas in Erie, Pennsylvania. And yeah. let's think about the conditions of Erie, Pennsylvania today and things like that. Okay. Um, What's the like? What's the butterfly effect moment that causes you to go down one path that, like, let's say, is over here on the left versus mm-hmm. one that you could have very easily gone down on the right? Because I, I don't think, and you can't say it was punk music because fuck you, because I know a bunch of kids who grew up. No punk helped, like that, but it wasn't right. punk. Yeah, but I knew a bunch of kids who grew up like that, and then they're like shithead right winger people now. And I, I mean, know. of course, the yeah. irony is that so much of punk is rooted in conservatism, and that's true. And uh, like white ethno state thinking and stuff like that. But yeah, to this I'm day. curious because really, like if you think about it, you could like all the ingredients were there for you mm-hmm. to end up being. I mean, maybe you wouldn't have been alt right because you're too old to be alt right, um, unless you're Richard Spencer. But like, who's like? But I mean, you could have ended up really different politically. And I'm wondering what sure. you think. What were the things that kind of exposed you to a certain cultural or social sensitivity that caused you to come out on a different end? Because yeah. you could have. I mean, it's like the jo- you know we're always joking with each other. Like we could infiltrate. We right. could infiltrate like an alt-right group because we both have shaved heads. We both yeah. have tattoos. We look like if I wear a button-up shirt and I button it all the way to the top, I yeah. look like I'm like a men's rights activist, which is why <laughs> I don't button it all the way to the top. You seem very happy to do that. but I do that. I, that is a th- I'm just teasing you. That has an aesthetic that's much longer than any alt-right shithead. Yeah, but, not, please or, don't make me. Or Proud Boy or something that. like that. But mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you think, I mean, what pushed you in, I guess, the correct direction instead of... Uh, well, the first... And were you attracted to maybe becoming like that when you went back to Erie? <laughs> I'm just teasing. Yeah, it was a big temptation <laughs> to really just throw my life away and everybody that I care about because I wanted to get some cred on you wanted up all vote, right message up boards. Upvotes. <laughs> <Yeah>. Upvotes. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think I, I was lucky because... Um, and I don't think that he's going to care, but if he does, I'm very sorry, Dad. This podcast has a limited audience. Um, but of 160,000 unique listeners. That's no, but my father was a real political radical, and he was um, involved in, like, White Panther organizing. So, um, you know, the white branch of the Black Panthers. Um, he was kind of, I think that he was a Marxist-Leninist for a long time. Um, now more of a Leninist Marxist. You can ask Dr. Gamble. <laughs> Just giving you shit. Well, so you had like an aspirant model who kind of, so like at, you weren't having to at home, like break out of a particular type of politics that was like grooming you to be uh, no. effectively oppressive when you came out of it or, or a, or a household whose politics was to maintain a kind of, uh, 
continuation of general white, uh, sorry, generational white wealth. No, certainly not. Because um, I feel like even very liberal kids, like yeah. liberals that I know, right. their parents are very liberal, but their parents are doing some <laughs> serious fucking white generational oh, yeah. wealth coaching to make sure, sure that they like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't even know. It's like, I don't know because I don't get to do it because I don't have right. any white generational wealth. I want some though. I'll give it nice. away. Yeah. I'll what do you think of that? Away. Fuck it, I'll give it away. Like that Chili Pepper song. That's what it's about. Wealth. Is that what it's about? Give it away. That's a song. That's a very radical socialist song about wealth redistribution. I Anthony Kiedis is a socialist. I don't back, want to, back I, to, I was starting on. to get mad about okay, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Right. I'm not going to think about them. Well, you don't have to think about them. I Okay. You're forcing me to, I feel like. But... No, uh, so my father, who I give an enormous amount of credit to, uh, is a really strange guy in the um, in the best way possible. In the sense that, um, you know, his parents had come from Italy. His father died when he was really young. He was sort of um, took care of his mom and his sisters, and then he joined the navy. He realized, I think, very quickly that. Um, he hated the military very, very much. And then he went on a long, a long journey of leftism and, and sort of, uh, Eastern thought and, um, became, you know, became the guy that, uh, I really looked up to because of, um, yeah, I mean, just his level of compassion, but also a really, really intelligent guy, a much, much smarter person than I am. Um, <laughs> But it sounds like somebody who also wasn't just talk, but also did activation and things like that. And yeah. was involved oh, yeah. directly with things. He really did. I remember him getting upset with me because I found a photograph of him um, with an afro and a, some kind of a red armband on in this march in Boston. And I don't even know what the march was for, but he said, oh, good. Get rid of that. I don't know where. Put that picture away. <laughs> well, maybe he didn't. Maybe the afro hasn't aged well. Maybe not. We have very, very curly hair, though. We're all Southern Italian. So that's what... We do have afros if if they grow. So it's okay for you to say Cincinnati in that way. In my, my hair... Do I, my hair I, on the other I, hand, am... Called, do call Cincinnati. It's not really my place to be yeah. doing that. Not, it's, I don't really... No, not really. I don't want to tell you what your place is at your house, but... Don't tell people I record this at my house. <laughs> oh, right. Where do we record this? Uh, great studio. At the Blasting Room in Fort Collins, where so many of, where the fat record sound was really defined. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that's a niche fucking, fuck you. That's a cool joke. <laughs> um, we record this at Electric Ladyland. Ooh. Where so much classic rock. Beep, beep. We're recording at Abbey Road. We're also recording at the Dandy Warhol's private studio in Northwest Portland, Oregon. I don't even know a fucking song by them. Oh, I do. They sang Bohemian, Bohemian like, like you. you. Yes. And then yeah. I remember there was that movie that was them and the Brian Jonestown Massacre. And both bands seemed terribly insufferable. They were like uh, rivals, but buddies, right? Yeah. I saw Brian Jonestown Massacre in Cleveland once. And the, uh, what's his name? The main guy. Uh, Brian Jonestown. Well, Brian Jones is dead because he is in the Rolling Stones. But um, the the did he die at Jonestown? 
He died at Jonestown. Yeah, he said um, he was the first person to drink the to drink the Kool Aid, which is funny. Um, that's not really a massacre. You know, I think that's true. It's well, no, there was armed guards actually. There okay. was guys with machine guns that were making people drink it. Hmm. So, would you join a cult? I feel like you'd join a cult. Uh, not now, but I probably would have at some point. Not even one like up in the Catskills. Like I'm talking about, like Martha, Marcy, Marlene kind of cult. I went to a like, um, Buddhist monastery and lived there for two months in Wood in Woodstock. In Woodstock, New York. That was like a cult. Yeah. What did you do at the monastery? I washed dishes. Yeah. And they let me. They let me stay there, and I really kind of freaked out. Uh, what do you mean you freaked out? You're not really supposed to talk very much, and oh. like there's. It's like extremely dark at night. There's, it's interesting, but you really find out when you like have nothing to do. Who you are? I found out who I was. I bet. I that yeah. fucking actually, you describing that is giving me so much anxiety to Which, think about being someplace where. Uh, it ruined I have my to, life. I have to when be I quiet. Found out who I was? I can't shit post. I'm not allowed <laughs> no. to just like dump things on people. Right. I can't just put headphones in and listen to other people talk. But me and my friend Gasson would sneak down into the town of Woodstock and get drunk like three or four times a week because neither of us could stand it. So Oh, that's kind of cool. That was all right. Yeah. That's interesting. So, Thomas, the show opens tonight. The show opens tonight. How do you... Okay. Are you... I mean, literally anything could happen tonight. <laughs> Have you... Like what? I don't know. So many things. Do collectors listen to this? collectors yeah to my podcast <laughs> oh i maybe okay. uh if any of you collectors out there listening um thomas's work is available at a 20 percent discount i'm if you go through me. honestly i've got so much work in here i've got work here i'll sell i'll give salty for anything anything that's like our how artificial scarcity works right is i just aren't you doing the opposite of artificial scarcity oh right you're doing no it's extremely scarce i make like one of these things a year yeah. You okay. don't want to flood your own market. We could get Simkovitz. Simkowitz? <laughs> I don't know how you say his last name. I think it's Simko- Simkovitz. Simko. I mean, he calls himself Simko. Simko. We could get Simko to buy one of your pieces. I Flip like, it. I don't think we'd get it. Blow your market up. He seems kind of like... Destroy you. Not my kind of guy. I don't know. Maybe he is. You could call him. Um, Why don't you call him up? I have, I have stories about... People we know know him, and he seems not nice, maybe. One time he was a guest judge on an art chop that I did. He Skyped in. Really? Or an art chopped in Miami, Florida. And I will say, I don't know Simcoe uh, at all, but I asked him to do this. It's cool and, that he did And it. if anything, he has a sense of humor yeah. about how people perceive him. I, I'm not going to say that that makes him one way or another of a person, but he did Skype in, and... Um, I'm not Jewish, so I apologize that I don't know the exact term for this. But on Friday nights, mm-hmm. um, often traditionally, families will get together and have dinner. Yeah. Um, is that called Shabbat? Or it could be Seder. I'm an idiot. I don't know. And I'm very sorry if I, I'm not meaning no, to conflate the two. No, it's not Seder. I think it... Because Seder happens... Uh, it's like a holiday. It's a holiday. Okay. Well, I don't know what it's called. I'm really sorry. But he was having that dinner with his family and he Skyped in and it was absolutely fucking hilarious. I mean, he just That's like, really cool. He was That's being nice. a judge yeah. with one headphone in and turning and sort of like yelling at uh, the artist Ray Smith, who's like many years his senior. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like yelling at him uh, while Ray was trying to make stuff in art show. It was 
thoroughly entertaining and it sort of made me just kind of like pump the brakes on having any opinion on him because i was just like well but i don't know i don't know enough about him again i I have a superficial understanding of any of this stuff yeah i don't know shit about any of it i mean really anything books a little bit yeah so what do you okay you finish the work for this show yeah what what do you feel like you want to do now Um, work-wise i have some ideas for um some like art gallery stuff so like some paintings and drawings that i want to do but then you and i work together or you host my uh comic that i started that hasn't gotten that terribly far yet um called infinite hash infinite hash yeah it has its own uh menu tab on the navigation wow no it's great have you ever scrolled through have you ever done like just a scroll down on the page that is so i post them Mm mm-hmm as posts but then i have a page that's just them in reverse chronological order where you kind of scroll through and see them all yeah it's god fuck i said this word in the last episode it's very chewy what does what do you mean by that like i don't know like just like there's something to it you know what i mean it's got like a good it's got a mouth feel it's got a something (laughs) while you're going down it you know you know you're consuming you know you're consuming how's that that i mean fuck you that's great i feel like if i know as a consumer if i know i'm consuming yeah that's just i feel whole that's woke that's not woke. <laughs> uh, uh, but no so i've been thinking that i or one thing that i'd really like to do is kind of um yeah really get into the comic and make it a much bigger weirder thing for a while um and get it you know i was telling you yesterday as sort of a joke but like turn it into this like crazy dickensian thing where there's all of these characters and it still maintains this like kind of off the cuff crass humor or offensive, sometimes offensive humor, political humor. Um, but then the drawings become super laborious and there's all these characters and, um, I don't think the humor is offensive in any capacity. No, I mean, like I I said with the paintings, I really hope that there's some kind of a kindness. I do make like, I, I, some people made fun of, or some people got, sort of mad at me about um about middle-aged hillary voters being out of touch and i um wait what was that a comic that was a comic of yeah it was about uh, there was a guy with a uh he was like reclining on a on a beach chair and he had like a straw hat straw cowboy hat on and he was drinking merlot and oh he's drinking the red wine it was too spicy it was a little pe- pepper <laughs> yeah <laughs> And he was complaining about, about the Beatles, how right? he could not understand how young people didn't want to vote for Hillary because Hillary was like the Beatles. And so, of course, we, we don't have to campaign. We don't have to try because we got the Beatles, baby. Uh, so pe- I think people got maybe that hit close to home for some people. But I, um, I think there was a real arrogance in that Hillary campaign. That's not really a very hot take, but... <laughs> <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Did she visit Pennsylvania? Did you go out you go out to one of the rallies? You go to she a rally come. in Erie? Trump came and she didn't come. Well. And look what happened. You voted for him. <laughs> you were very susceptible. It's a chance joking. You went door to door and you threw in the nihilism vote and you said, This vote is my middle finger to the establishment. I've seen I've had the pleasure of seeing my vote not count. I do think I've heard before. the terrible take that, you know, that was like the punk thing to do was vote Trump. 
uh, as like maybe I don't even maybe know that's if it was, even, I don't even know if it was punk, but I think it was like that was yeah, like the accelerationist Nick Land tank. I, I think. think yeah, I think about the people who uh, you know they're always they're just like flipping fucking out trying to figure out how do these people who voted for Obama vote for Trump? Like how do you make this flip or whatever? And blah blah. And it's just like they. I don't think that. I mean. I would imagine a lot of those people just legitimately didn't think that he was going to win anyways. Yeah. Despised Hillary Clinton a great deal. Uh, and the kind of Clinton dynasty, they'd seen a Bush dynasty. They're like yeah. opposed to this kind of thing. They think it's pretty gross. And they, I'm not saying everybody, but I guarantee there are some people who just voted for Donald Trump because they were like, yo, fuck this. I'm not going to like, this is, I yeah. think it was like literally like a, like a lull sec thing without, oh, I do it, without it even there, meaning to be i do think there was a lull quotient and i think the hillary, lull quotient we should get that in the polls the lulls <laughs> yeah so, yeah don't do it for the lulls kids go pokemon but also go, hillary pokemon go to the polls not don't hang out with kissinger on camera so often that was a bad look well yeah you know every kiss begins with kissinger <laughs> what do you think about that you fun? know there's a k jewelers ads with the uh what is it? Incredible dude guys, which was the stupid I saw it on the train here. Wait, the Incredibles? No, there's like that terrible YouTube channel where they like these guys don't have anything to do all day and they are like YouTube celebs and so they like try to throw a some small thing into another small thing from like seventy five yards away. Oh. And they probably do seven hundred takes and then finally do it. Um, but they were on a K Jewelers ad, which was like the most tone deaf strange like cultural overlap that i've seen in a while yeah i mean well doesn't cage don't they just sell diamonds they sell diamonds i think okay well i mean i think we know where they stand politically also logan paul logan paul and what's... i only know who that is because i know that i hate him that's what i was gonna say he right? go fuck yourself yeah. <laughs> you, heard you're you heard it you heard it psycho i can tell you were a bully in high school you I'm heard sure it here it. first I'm sure that you're probably a bully to people who you know. Yeah. Yeah, you're a monster. Go to hell, Logan Paul. Or whatever, Paul. There's another one, too. They both suck. Rand. <laughs> Is Are they related? It's his sons, yeah. Ayn Rand Paul. I'll tell you, that Rand last name is not... It's not a... That's, that's not a proud lineage. You should be Thomas J. Rand. Nope. Why? Negative. Thomas J. Randall. I should. Uh, I do kind of have a name that sounds like a fake television cop a little bit. Tommy Gambles. Tom Gamble. Yeah. Tom Gamble. Yeah, that is a bullshit name. It is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my Italian uh, grandparents came over. Is it? It's did totally, they change that's it? That's a totally from, British. Name. Was it Gambino previously, it was, it and they changed it to Island? Jean Filione, and they said, oh, gamble. The last name was what? Jean Filione. That's one name? That's that's one name, yeah. That sounds like a soccer player. Soccer players are, I think, among the most handsome professional athletes, seems like. Though they are stay a little bit prissy, you know, they're kind of... Whoa! Like, you're allowed to say prissy. I guess so. They're like, they're dandies, you know. Dandies. <laughs> They've got their hair gelled as they play and things. <laughs> Well, you got to get a little extra grip when you hit that head ball, my dude. Remember Lexi Lawless? Lexi Lawless. Wait, that was that Xena Warrior Princess? No, that's Lucy Lawless. Oh, 
Alexi Lalas. He was like the red-haired guy with the goatee. He was a soccer player. Remember the United States soccer team, like, for two seconds was popular? Oh, yeah. There was like Kobe Jones, Alexi Lalas, Tab Ramos or something. Yeah, there was yeah. like they were, they were on like cereal boxes out of fucking nowhere. It was like the greatest thing for me because that's a sport that I played. Okay. And all of a sudden it was like, maybe this isn't gay. <laughs> it was sort of like what was proposed to like the football players at my school. They, Oh, sure. It only lasted a second before they decided that it was in fact still yeah. uh, that. But I think that, yeah, I think I ran track and field and for football players and hockey players that was definitely considered gay especially you know we wore the short shorts and everything Mm -hmm. so that was not a respectable thing to do but now those are in fashion yeah they look good i mean if you got the legs for it if you got you know and i know you do i got some nice legs rest of the body fucked up but legs look nice (laughs) well uh thomas Thank you for coming by Human the Abject today. <laughs> Thank you very Good much. Good luck tonight. Sir. And remember, I just want you to keep in the back of your head that anything could happen. You don't know what's going to happen tonight. Are you going to do some horrible prank at my opening? Because please... No, don't. I have to get up really early and go to teach tomorrow. So I'm, I'm coming to the opening. I'm not going to do anything insane. I just want you to think about that. I mean, anything could happen. Sure. Okay. All right. Thank you uh, to everybody. We'll see you next week. Look at the